This episode is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison, a mission-based food company bringing the healthiest meat on the planet directly to your door. I have strived over the years to cultivate a deeper connection with the food that fuels myself and my family, balancing nutritional value and ethics that align with our values. This process has led me to harmonize with nature as much as possible. Maui Nui Venison brings this process to fruition. Not only does this company provide the most nutrient-dense meat available, this is the only stress-free, 100% wild-harvested red meat on the market, an operation that is truly one of its kind, actively managing Maui's invasive axis deer populations, helping to restore balance to vulnerable ecosystems and communities in Hawaii. Maui Nui seeks to restore balance, not eradicate or farm these animals. Managing populations means only a limited number of memberships are available. Get yours while you can. Go to MauiNuiVenison.com slash mindful to get 20% off your first order. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today for another episode. The other week, I put out an episode uh, about an uh, experience I had last year while camping in the woods. I guess that was not the easiest thing to do. Felt a little vulnerable. And I did um, mention in that that I would be following up with a story about why I guess that experience was so hard, not like the logistical side of it and the managing of the mind, but really the managing of the emotions. Like, I guess I had some kind of emotional break that week. And I had mentioned during that, that I had to lean on that experience. I remember mentioning on the last episode that when the experience happened, I was like making a note to not forget. Like, don't forget this happened. Don't forget where it happened. And, you know, don't forget all the, I guess, the beauty that came through that I obviously needed at that time in my life. I referenced the idea that it turns out over the following year, which has been this past year, I have had to lean on that experience and try to put myself mentally for a moment back in that tent where it all went down and remember what I went through and how important it was and how meaningful for me to become more loving and accepting of myself, essentially. You know, it's like sometimes you just think we're on this world to learn how to love ourselves. <laughs> I recommend if you have the gift of the world giving you an opportunity to learn, to be open to that lesson. So over the last year, it's been really rough 
if you saw the episode where I had the EMDR therapist kind of pull out of me this experience of being on the doorstep as a four-year-old, the moment my parents were splitting up, that uh, a lot of my beliefs, I guess, were born out of that experience that then showed up through definitely my teen years and then even as adult as an adult especially in regards to the relationship with my father my father left so subconsciously i think i built a belief system that i wasn't worth him sticking around like there's a i'm not good enough i'm not worthy of my parents love that just subconsciously emerges from within because the part of our brain where we could think clearly about those things aren't really developed at that point. For instance, as a four-year-old, you can't look at your parents splitting up and think, oh, this is just some manifestation of a toxic relationship between these two adults. They don't know how to communicate well. They don't know how to love each other well. And now as an adult, I kind of feel like maybe that's because they just don't know how to love them selves enough to love each other well enough because it's really hard to learn how to love yourself turns out so because you can't have that conversation in your mind at that age that it's not about you the subconscious programs are just you know they're being written for you at that early age i think i've heard now that these this like sweet spot of influence happens from the third trimester while you're still in the womb up to somewhere around seven or eight years, where the things that um, unfold in your life experience, your life situation around you, to you, from you, whatever, at that time has such a tremendous impact because it's like shaping the way you think about yourself subconsciously. And then your behaviors in life later wind up following someone that has those beliefs. Like they're a manifestation of those beliefs, whether good, bad, indifferent, you know, or other. And we could have, as Sarah would say, kind of different parts where you have some parts that behave this way because they're trying to find safety from this thing that happened as a kid. Or these parts behave this way because you're trying to find acceptance or to fit to feel like you fit in somewhere in life. So it might not be like consistent across all your behaviors and actions, but all your behaviors and actions are are likely to stem from something. And those systems that we build that create those behaviors and actions generally go way back until at least there's a point where you shine a light on it. And then you say something along the lines of, to yourself, oh, I'm not that four-year-old anymore. Like I'm 44 years old and I don't, now I can see that this was about these two people wasn't about me. So I don't have to be a prisoner to the behaviors and actions and thoughts and feelings about myself just because I felt that way at that age. So that was the beginning of a long history of, I guess can be expressed as feeling not worth the love of a parent because when I probably needed that parent, the parent was either not around 
or was well practiced at pushing me away. Like I remember as a kid getting in trouble a lot, uh, like trouble with school, whether it be skipping school or fights, and then eventually got in trouble with drugs. And I remember those being times where I think I needed my dad to run towards me and his default setting was always to run away. Like I'm too mad at you right now to talk to you. And in some ways, like that sucked, obviously. Um, and that's a function of him not knowing how to love himself because of all the shit he's gone through. And, you know, he had trauma at a young age, like most people have. So his beliefs you know, have been shaped by unfortunate life situations also. So I've definitely made a lot of progress with like forgiving him for those things out of the practice of compassion and such, thinking about what it's like for them, for him particularly. And it's also been a gift in some way. So I've been lucky enough to, to discover a way to look at those experiences as a very important lesson so that when I turn to my kid and my kid maybe gets in trouble at school, I know exactly what I don't want to do. I don't want to run away. I want to be the first one in line to give him a hug and let him know, you know, whatever you're going through, I've probably done worse. I love you. There's nothing in your actions or behaviors that can alter the way I feel about you. So it's, it's not even about my love for you, because that's not penetrable by things that you do or say. And being able to convey that message to them immediately, as soon as I can, as soon as I have the awareness to say that to my son or my daughter. And I think that's been really important. So I've over time been able to look at the experience I had as a kid with my dad is horrible as it was for me in many ways. It's also been a tremendous gift. Because, you know, there's two sides of the, the coin, like the same thing that you get very clear on not liking shows you what you don't want to do to your kids. And then you could find what you deem a better way or a way that aligns with your values, you know, how you want to show up in the world for your kids. So as far as leaning on that experience of what happened in the tent and trying to remember all the th good things I got out of it. And how I felt after I had this turning point of, you know, reconnecting with the ideas of just loving myself. What happened was that was kind of early in the longest stint of our relationship, my father and I, where he had kind of backed away. And, you know, for the majority of my adult life, we had the kind of relationship where we talk once or twice a week. It's mostly about just, you know, shooting, shooting the shit, what's going on with your week, what's going on with the family and such. And, um, you know, there was times where my dad would need help with something. Maybe it's medical and I'd always be the one I was always closest. So I had two older sisters and there was this weird, uh, relationship where we had my two sisters and my mother and me living together and then my dad and for a while like I would go to my dad's on Saturdays uh, to spend the night and it was all three of us me and my sisters would do that and then eventually uh, my oldest sister bailed from that her relationship with she went from being you know daddy's little girl to they had um, 
just non-optimal communication for various reasons and she bailed from that and then eventually my other sister did my middle sister so then it was just me for a while and what happened was I wound up becoming and really I think taking ownership of this position a bit of a buffer in the family and I think a lot of people find themselves in this situation where it's like there was almost like sides like my dad and then not against, but it was like my dad on one side and my mom and sisters on the other. And I would always be the one on either side defending the other. And maybe that's because I, I, I naturally have a tendency to play the devil's advocate, but there'd be a lot of um, me explaining to my father that just because my sister did this or said that, you know, they didn't have the intent that you think they did. And then vice versa, like, defending my father to to my sisters and my mother and if you know uh we all kind of played our roles in that scenario and ultimately probably wasn't the healthiest scenario and i know we all doing what we thought was right at the time i'm sure you know you could only do the best you can with the the tools that you have at the time but i was the one kind of sticking up for him and Ultimately, as he grew older and had a very kind of lonely lifestyle and still does, I was really the one closest to him. You know, I was the one that he would call at times in need. So this last year and a half where we had a blow up and he left once again and kind of ran away as opposed to ran towards me and went into this I'm too mad at you to talk to you zone. It went so much longer than usual. And I'm always the one that like initiates the olive branch that rekindles uh, the communication when there's been some kind of toxic explosion. And this was no different. So like I reached out to him a few times and it didn't go well. So it just kind of continued. So that camping trip was, I would say, several months into this experience where at that point, it was already the longest I've gone without communicating with my father. And it was on him, like the ball was in his court. And what I had to teach myself to do, really, I think for the first time, was to accept that this might be the way it is forever. And that, okay, I might not have my father in my life anymore, which was really hard for me to accept. But with all my practices, all my self-work, all my support from my wife, Sarah, from my family, from whether it be the mindful movement or other teachers I listen to, I was able to figure a way in my mind to adjust what my needs were. Because I think I was stuck in this, I still need my dad in my life close. But once I had to come to not, not like the reality, but come to grips with the reality that that might not happen, I had to learn to live with myself. And what I found was I had to lean on the same ideas of like telling myself that I'm good enough, I'm worthy, and I love myself enough to be okay, regardless of what other people are doing in their life and what their actions are and their behaviors, even if they have a direct impact on me. And that came up many times over the last year and a half now, since we haven't been talking. And as I mentioned in the last episode, we just started talking. So for the first time, we started going to therapy together. So this week we had our third therapy session, which has been a very interesting scenario. But over the course of the year and a half, I had to go back 
to the tent in my mind. And I think it's kind of neat that we can do that. It's not a tool that I think I've considered in the past prior, even though I feel like I've done a lot of work on myself in the last, I don't know, a dozen and a half years or so. I don't think I remember having a very impactful experience, some kind of emotional break of some sort. And, you know, I've had the burst out and crying scenarios, you know, those happen maybe once a year or so, but I've never had a scenario where I kind of locked on to it. Not like I was stuck in that moment, but I locked on to um, like, let's put this in a box and close the box and hold it somewhere so that we could still go back and open the box. And like, I'll just walk around and I know the key to the box is in my back pocket. It's just like another tool that I could lean on. And I would say probably close to a handful of times over the last year and a half, I've been having a tough scenario where I have had to say something along the lines of, remember what happened in that time, remember what's on that day, and then visualize the thing. So like visualize being in the tent, face laying in a pool of, of my own tears, remembering how my body felt. Because even if, if you're at the moment where you're having a tough time, you're guaranteed to have increased tension somewhere in the body. The body will start to get rigid somewhere. And I had this powerful moment in that tent where I had this somewhat spontaneous release of tension in the body and turned into like, you know, this jello-like creature, just able to really relax and let go of things that were gripping for clearly a long time. So I could kind of, even though I can't maybe recreate that sensation in the moment and like get that relaxed, I could still visualize what it was like. And with that, in a few exhales, relax as much as possible and feel some kind of layer shed. And if, you know, you've probably experienced this, if you do any kind of um, self-work with, let's say, soft tissue work or certain like relaxing exercises like yin yoga, or you do uh, really relaxful meditations or hypnosis, you'll notice that the body could go into just a very deep state of relaxation where you're not sleeping, but you could really let go. And I could do that just a little bit more and a little bit on demand, having that reference inside the box that I could open, say, rem you know, remember this thing you've been storing in the box, this this time that you had where you got super relaxed when you came to grips with like really believing that you're enough regardless of all the shit that's happened in your life. And that's nice. Like I still have it and I could reuse it. And my guess is there'll be more like there'll be now I'm aware that that's a thing. So like maybe the next time I have a very impactful moment, whether it's with myself or with like a third party, like a therapist walking me through something. I could package it up and keep it instead of like uh, letting it just drift off into the many memories that we're ultimately have to let go of because we probably just only have so much room to store things in our brain where we could kind of still hold them and juggle them and retrieve them. And I want to make sure that's one of the retrievable things. So I guess um, my hopes would be to shine a light on the fact that there's this tool that is there, and maybe if you're listening and maybe you're going through some kind of tough time or some healing process or whatever, it, it, when you notice you have a really 
important thought or feeling or emotion or breakthrough to see if you could snap some pictures in a way of your in your mind and the closer you can get to the feelings and the emotions that come out of that my guess the better so like try to remember how something feels when you experience a how you know what do the emotions feel like like what do they feel like in the body and then maybe you could capture that a little bit more effectively and then come back to it at another another time when it when you when it's needed so a year and a half my dad kind of pushes me away and then eventually it was clear at this point i'm not going to play the i'm not going to be the extender of the olive branch cuz this one hurts so bad like i'm just i've learned how to like create a boundary enough that even though i love this man that i need to love myself enough to not let myself get hurt you know because i've been hurt so many times like this pattern of kind of what could only be i guess explained as a a variation of abandonment that's is still stemming from the original abandonment when my parents split up like all the times that you know he i needed him and he went the other direction so this was like its fullest expression you know year and a half ish so then he finally reaches out and we decide on uh going to a therapist and he found someone that <clears throat> like his insurance covers it's local he doesn't want to do it via zoom partly it's because he probably wants to be in my presence because he hasn't been so long he we only live 15 minutes from each other if that so it's very strange for us to go this long without not just talking but without seeing each other and he finds someone in his like insurance network who's close and we go and the man is very sweet like the therapist uh clearly knows his craft he's super gentile docile creature this guy and um you know, it'd be hard to imagine someone better suited <clears throat> for for our situation to help kind of hold our hand as we clearly need guidance on how to communicate and how to rekindle communication. So what, what was interesting out of the gate is leading up to the, I tried to prepare leading up to the session, and I actually re-listened to the book, um, Nonviolent Communication, that book. God, the author's slipping me right now. Um, so, Rosen, Rose, Marshall Rosenberg, maybe. I hope I'm not butchering that. So, uh, I read the book for in the like week or two leading up to the session, just to get my mind in the right place. I want to make the most out of these sessions. I don't want to just revert back to old patterns where we're, you know, uh, arguing at each other and, and the typical. It would typically go down like this. I would say something to him. This is, you know, leading up to the, in the years leading up to recently when we started therapy. So not at therapy, but it would typically, our relationship would be something like me trying to ask him something, getting ignored for my questions, or like something that would make me feel unheard or unseen, <clears throat> especially around things that I found were really important to talk about. And then I would raise my voice, I think as a default setting, because I feel unheard, my instinct would be to get louder. And that is like the worst form of communication for my dad to hear. He, he goes in shutdown mode. If you raise, 
raise your voice and he'll say something that when he was growing up as a kid and his family, nobody ever argued, like nobody ever got mad at each other. So it was very foreign to him. He's not practiced at dealing with confrontation. But I grew up in a very different household where my parents split up when I was young and, you know, there was a little bit, there's a good bit of chaos. And he will walk away when he shuts down because I, my voice is loud and he feels like he doesn't deserve to be yelled at, which is understandable. And then I would then feel abandoned because he would walk away. And that would be like the common theme that I've, I discovered that I've been dealing with for a long time now. It was like this cycle that never got anywhere. So, th- so it was important to have somebody to guide us through so that didn't happen. And to add to that, I just wanted to read this book to reconnect with some tools and ideas of clarifying, you know, how to communicate with someone where you have a history of not the healthiest form of communication. And some of the things in the book that I found were important were like identifying what your needs are, because when you lash out on some level, it might be that you have a need that's not being met. That's one of the strong, I think, messages in that book. So it's important to clarify your needs to yourself and then communicate those needs to the other. The problem I found was I was having a hard time clarifying my needs because I felt like forever I had a need for my dad to be very close to me and to be in my life and to be in my kids' lives. And I, and then over the last year and a half, I had to teach myself, I think, to let go of that need and to be able to be able to live my life well, live with myself, love myself, love the people in my life and do, and do good, you know, show up in the world the way I want understanding that he might not be in it. And that was a lot of work at first, you know, the first six months. And and then I think I started to hit my stride. We're like, okay, I can do this. So then I finally get to this therapy session and I want to be able to, you know, make progress and navigate this relationship in a healthy way. But I find that I don't know what a healthy, I don't know what the goal is. I can't identify in my mind what the goal is. Like, is the goal to get back to weekly conversations where we're chatting on the phone, you know, talking about the weather and giving updates on my kids. And because I had trouble seeing myself in that scenario and not thinking, hey, you remember that time where you wouldn't talk to me for a year and a half? And maybe that's because I haven't fully forgiven him. I don't know. Um, I know I've forgiven him for a lot of things over the years. And maybe I'm just not sure or I haven't done enough about this recent episode that I'm, it's not, I mean, obviously I can't forget this. So I don't know how to like articulate in my mind what a good end goal of this therapy process and this reconnection is. And that's kind of where I am now. So we just had three sessions. This is again, a situation that I've never really experienced. I know that I would rather have a relationship with my dad than not. I know that I'm glad that we're having the therapy sessions. It's a chance for me to see him, for him to see me, and there's communication, and we're not getting angry at each other because we have an expert in the room to help hold our hands to make sure that things don't go down like uh, really toxic roads. And it keeps it really, he keeps the space very healthy and open, the energy of the room feels like there's uh, a bit of a, hey, we're, heal- we're here to heal. 
kind of energy, which I appreciate. And I applaud all the people out there that have that skill set to create space for others to go through these hard things and to create, you know, new pathways, new neural networks in our mind about how we think about communicating and how we see the other that we're communicating with. So that's great. And um, I'm sure a lot of people could probably use that. And my guess in every, is, is in every town, there's some of those skilled people. And there's probably a lot of people in that field that, um, you know, aren't as skilled, just like in any field. And I think now there's obviously a lot of online services do also to, you know, to do that. So maybe if you can't easily find someone close to you, um, when you've had a, a real troubled past with someone that you do care about, if you really want to make progress, it probably could be really helpful to do the hard thing and get in, get in a room or get on a screen or on a call with someone that could help hold your hand through that. Um, but it doesn't mean it's without challenge for sure. Like I said, right now I'm in a challenge. I don't know where this can go. Like it's hard for me to understand how do I get back to in inviting me over for dinner and for events, things like that. So I guess that kind of sums up, um, what I wanted to talk about. I didn't want to make the last episode too long, but I know that I mentioned that after that tent experience, it turns out I did have to rely on reconnecting with that experience at hard times. And I said that I would explain a little bit why. So this was why. The last year and a half, my dad wasn't talking to me. So that was the hard time. And there were times throughout that year and a half where it was really important that I could connect with an experience that I had that could help me in that particular moment that I was having a hard time now, even though I was connecting with a previous hard time. Like I said, to shine a light on, hey, there's another tool here. I'm sure I'm not the first one to discover this. I'm sure there's probably been books written on this, but I don't recall reading those. Um, and if somebody did tell me this idea, I wasn't clever enough in the moment to retain it. So it was nice to just learn my own way. Sometimes you just have to discover things your own way or the hard way for them to really sink in. So, and again, uh, like I alluded in the last um, episode, it's really nice to say these things out loud. So I thank you guys for holding space for me to say these things. It's, uh, it's a form of journaling, I guess, and being able to not hold these things inside, not let the tension build and putting it out there. For those listening, I recommend that. Get it out some way. It doesn't have to be published in a podcast or video. It doesn't have to be heard by someone else for it to be important. You could even say these things out loud to yourself while you're driving to work in the car alone or, or write them down. I mentioned last episode that my daughter is very skilled at writing everything down so that you're not walking around holding it inside. Hanging on, clenching, gripping. Let's see, is there anything else I wanted to touch on? Um, a couple things, I guess. Uh, I had, so we, we do have a new uh, affiliate. I don't know if you guys listened. I did an episode not long ago with the owner, the founder of US Wellness. And um, yeah, this is an important thing. I mean, I know you, if you listen to me, you probably have. Uh, understand that I, I value health. I think, you know, I am a believer that that is 
uh, maybe not the the only true wealth, but it is some form of like true wealth, having your health, having your body be there for you so that you could do the things you want. And over the years, I definitely believe, I have found to believe that what we eat is really important uh, in that equation and coaching people in the gym and online for a long time now. Um, it's very rare that I work with someone where they don't need to make some dietary change to make the progress they're looking for. So it's just a, a real common lever that we have to pull. You know, there's lots of degrees in which you could pull it. There's, you know, what's the least, you know, you could look at it like, I just want to make a little change and get used to doing something different. It can also be what's the, uh, like the lowest hanging fruit. What's the minimum effective dose of change within this spectrum? Um, or there's also like, what's the optimal change? Some people could make lots of big change all at once and they're very comfortable with that. You know, what's the maximum benefit? How do I maximize this lever? Regardless, it's nice to have a tool to use if you're wanting to make change and want access to like healthier options for your diet because diet is so important in health. And over the years, I've referred out uh, companies that I like. I believe that it's important to vote with your dollars to not just get the things you want, but to support the companies that you think are doing good work. And if you listen to that episode, you'll hear that John Wood is uh, very passionate about soil health. And I think that's really important for the future of humanity. So I, I love supporting companies that really value that. And I do think it produces a better product, not just from a health standpoint, but from like a taste profile. I guess, like everything I get from that place tastes so good, U.S. Wellness. So that's one of the common companies that I have referred out to my clients when they're looking to upgrade and get a higher quality uh, food source. So that's a recent affiliate. So full disclosure, it is an affiliate. For those that want to support the podcast, I think the best way to support the podcast is to just, you know, when you, to vote with your dollars, just like we do, like when you're going to get food, just to consider the companies. Again, if you already have something that works, then don't. But if you're looking for a recommendation, like if you feel like you want a higher quality food, and you don't know where to get it, um, then I would recommend at least exploring U.S. Wellness. It's probably priced in a way where for some people it might feel out of reach and that's understandable. You know, you never have enough money for everything or time for that matter. I do feel like when we're clear on what we prioritize, we're often more likely to have enough money and time for the things that are important to us if we spend the time to clarify kind of the order of importance of what things are. So there's a lot of things that I forgo in life so that I have the time and money for the things that I think are most important. And food is one of them. And part of that might be because I just love cooking and eating. Like I love the experience. I'm very, I like getting more and more connected to my food source, whether it was when Sarah and I got uh, chickens to, to get, you know, daily eggs for us and our family or whatever, just like getting closer to the food, getting closer to the farmer, getting closer to the vegetable, like growing your own fruit, growing your own vegetable. So if you are interested, I will make sure. So if you go to our website, there's a resource page where I think all of our affiliates are, but I'll try to link to that one because that's a new one and they do have a discount code for us. So I think they were nice enough to put together 
15% off, which for a food discount, I think is pretty good, especially, you know, we've got inflation and food prices are going up. So it's nice to get that discount. I think you could use it twice. Um, the code is TMM for the mindful movement. So check them out. If you, you know, if you like it, let us know. And if there's something that you, you know, really, uh, take advantage of there and like you got the good recipe and it came out well i love hearing about those things so if you're like i got this cut of meat and we did this my family loved it let me know please let the community know and then the last thing i'll talk to john is um the one-on-one -on -one coaching so sarah i think is booking kind of far out with her one-on-one -on -one coaching but she does have availability but um so you could explore her calendar on there if you haven't had a session with Sarah, I highly recommend it. It can be life altering for sure. My coaching package does have some availability. Um, I have a little bit of openings now. It's a five week package. You can spread it out if you want to. I find that, uh, you know, once a week meeting over Zoom for five weeks is, uh, can just be very transformational. But some folks want to spread those sessions out, which is fine by me. Um, some people look at that as a way to get more value out of the money, which I, I totally understand. And if that's you, then I, sure, take advantage of that. Um, if you have questions of what that looks like, the, the page on our website for my one-on-one -on -one coaching will explain a little bit how I look at things and the framework um, that I'm, I'm thinking with when I'm trying to help somebody kind of navigate lifestyle choices. Um, if you have a more specific question, don't hesitate to use our contact form and shoot me a message with a specific question. If you think you have a unique scenario situation and you want to see if you think that I'm suitable and you, you want to explore if we are a good fit, then don't hesitate to send a question my way. And that's it. I wanted to wrap up with that. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. I hope you got some value out of this. And uh, next, I'm going to be doing one. My next episode, I think, is going to be on the physical healing that I've uh, been going through. People know that I have worked with some nutritionists and some doctors on uh, the podcast so that you guys could see a little bit about how that unfolds in real time. And they've, I've had questions come my way about how did it work out? Like, how did this intervention of therapy work? Did this heal that kind of thing? So I would like to take a little bit deeper dive on the things that have really, I think, helped me in my healing. And to my surprise, a lot of the illness I think I've dealt with was actually linked to some of the emotional stuff that I've uh, alluded to in this episode. And I think that's through just the mechanics of how stress in any way and this being emotional stress affect the physical expression of our body, which I think is fascinating and can be used as a tool once we have the awareness of that, especially could help like, where do you start when you're trying to heal from something? One thing that seems to be common, for instance, across many therapies that are very submersive is the importance of rest and trusting the body's ability to heal and having some belief that you can heal. So I want to take a little deeper dive on that subject in the next episode. So if you're interested, keep an eye out for that one. It'll probably be in the next week or so. 
Um, all right, that's it. I hope everybody out there has a great day. Thanks for listening. Always grateful. Um, bye-bye. Thank you.